If you would take out your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Father, as always, we ask that you bless our time in your word. We know, Lord, that your word will never return void. We know, Lord, it's been given to us that it would be uh, beneficial and profitable to us to read and study your word. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to understand your word and apply it to our lives. That, again, we may live lives that continually conform to the image of your son, Christ. That we may please you in all that we do. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. As we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians, one of the things that we have looked at over the past several weeks is that it is important that believers, I guess we could even say mature Christians, must recognize that Jesus Christ must remain the church's only foundation. The existence of church cliques, as he's kind of gotten into, testifies really to infantile behavior, and God will expose those who practice it. So today, as we continue on in chapter 4, we're going to see that Christian leaders primarily, it's not, ex- it's not exclusively just them, but Christian leaders must remember that they are mere servants who are expected to be trustworthy and eager to enhance the mission and the message of their master. Uh, in the church in America, some have lost sight of that, whether they, they are more interested in the size of the institution itself, wherever the physical address may be, whether it's a way to gain fame or popularity or status or whatever the case may happen to be. Uh, there are those that do use the church uh, for that. It happens on all kinds of levels. It's not just a temptation to those who may want a church that can brag they have five or 10,000 members. Uh, it can happen in churches that are small. Uh, people find a lot of different ty- kinds of things that will feed their ego. Uh, and so we begin to approach the church and really, in the end, approach the message of Christ in the wrong way. And so here the reminder really clearly is, uh, especially after this idea that he has mentioned where people have kind of identified themselves and are following after certain individuals, certain teachers, and, you know, identify with Paul or identify with Apollos and trying to, trying to I guess, gain status from that. Uh, he wants to remind them that um, all of these teachers are just simply servants. They're mere servants of God, and they are to be trustworthy. Uh, they are to be faithful to the message of the gospel. So again, in light of people identifying with or attaching themselves to various teachers, Paul, again, is emphasizing this. Then he states what is required, again, of such kind of faithfulness. In other words, because stewards were trusted to handle, in many cases, their master's finances, 
purchasing slaves and goods and making wise investments. It was most important that they be that they be trustworthy. And so he wants to emphasize that as being the most important thing that that you be found faithful. So again, that's not again something that's just applicable to those of us who may be in leadership in, in one stage or another. But this is for all of us as believers. Uh, all of us are stewards of the message of Christ. All of us are stewards when it comes to the mission of the church. All of us are to be involved in that. And God desires that we will be faithful. We will be faithful to him. We will be faithful to the message. And all the rest of it really will be kind of taken care of, it, taken care of along the way. In fact, Paul really is saying this, and I found this, and I can't remember which, uh, which commentary um, I got this from, but this is what it says. Paul is basically saying, consider me the opposite of what you apparently now wrongly adore. So they were adoring all of these different kinds of individuals for whatever the reason may happen to be. And Paul says, that's, just, that's the opposite of what I am. I'm the complete opposite of that. And, uh, but I'm the one that you need to consider. Though what's interesting here is that the word that's translated servants, when you read through this passage here and he talks about the fact that uh, they are servants of Christ, it's not the normal word that is used where we get our word deacon from. Uh, it is the word uh, uh, um, hybridus, and that word stresses subordination and responsibility to a superior. Uh, in some dictionaries, it says it is literally a rower of the lowest rank. Uh, so it was a word that was used for individuals. Sometimes you, would, you might be enslaved, let's say, by the Roman government, and you are chained to a warship where you are one of the, one of the rowers. You know, it kind of gives a, a warship some speed in battle, uh, and you're of that lowest rank. You're chained. That ship goes down, you go down, because you're chained. Uh, to that. That's your only function in life, uh, is to help row that boat. So the idea is, is that you are there at the absolute mercy and uh, you to follow the command of the commander, and, and that's all, that's, that's, that's your entire life. And that's the word that Paul uses here when he talks about being a servant of Christ. Now, what we need to remember as, as believers living in this country, because we, we tend to be kind of oversensitive to this, you know, there's this idea that, oh, well, we, you know, that sounds so belittling to people, and that's just so demeaning. Paul's intention is not even dealing with an individual's self-esteem or status or any of those kind of things. What he's talking about is the kind of attitude that we are to bring to the table. And that when it comes to serving Christ, who is the creator of the universe, this is not a demeaning thing at all. This is something that we need to see as being uh, worthy and honorable. But the idea here is that this is not that we're coming on and bringing our own ideas with us. You know, we're not, we're not coming in, God doesn't bring us in the church and says, well, you know, I have this master plan for the church, but I would like to have your ideas on how I can make the gospel better or how I can make the message. That's not what he's asking us to do. He's asking us to stick to this, to be experts in just this one thing, to know this one thing inside and out. Uh, you might be a little wary if you were to go to see a doctor and let's say that you were having difficulties with headaches and let's say he's got a degree from some, some well-known uh, neurological school. And he says, well, I, I, did, I did get an education. I got decent grades. You know, I do have my own ideas, however. Uh, and you might want to know what those ideas are or where they came from. Uh, because it might give you pause uh, that he wants to add to the mix. And um, again, we don't mind people thinking outside the box. But there are certain basic things that have to be understood and he has to understand the workings of the brain inside and out before you even go in that direction. 
So the idea is, is that we're to be faithful to what we know to be absolutely true. And that's what he's talking about. In Kittle's Theological Dictionary, he says this about this word servants. He says, this means that all they preach, teach, order, and do has its origin and basis in God's plan for the world, and this is manifested in Christ. So again, that is, that's what he's trying to stress here. That's what he's getting at. So Paul explains really the image of a steward. And again, the idea of a steward is, is a servant who manages everything for his master. So in a, a well-to-do household during the time of Paul, you, you may have a steward who's kind of like a, a hired servant, but it may also be a slave. You know, again, the concept of slaves is kind of skewed because we only think of what slaves were like here in America, you know, a couple hundred years ago. But when it comes to the time of Rome, you had all kinds of slaves. You even had slaves who owned slaves. Uh, an individual could become a slave for many different reasons. And it was not unusual to have a slave that would be an individual that you would place in a very trusted position. Uh, think of Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house. Uh, Joseph was, was uh, very gifted financially and, and administratively. Uh, and he uh, mastered his, his uh, uh, master's um, household very well to the point that the Old Testament stresses that the master of the household did not even uh, know or he was unaware of his own financial situation. Joseph knew the books. He kept care of the books. The master didn't check them. He didn't look at them. He didn't know how much money he had or didn't have. None of it. He had a slave who took care of everything. This guy, he did all the purchasing. He did everything for the household. Whatever he said went. And so uh, he was in a very trusted position. Now, he was still a slave. He still had no rights. His master could pretty much still do whatever he wanted to with him, which he did. uh, Because later on, when Potiphar's wife wrongly accused Joseph, and some think, and I think they might be right, some think that Potiphar actually knew that she was either exaggerating or was making up these charges against Joseph. Because many believe that if Potiphar actually believed those charges were true, he would have just had Joseph killed. But he didn't have him killed, he threw him in the prison. But again, there was no trial. Uh, as a slave, he had no rights to violate because he was viewed as an individual who had no rights. And so he was just thrown in prison. So that is the kind of the image, again, that, that, is, that is right here. So, it's, so a slave, then, is one who, in a sense, has no rights. You don't determine things for yourself. You are simply there to do to the best of your ability, the will of your master. And, of course, our master is Christ, who is kind and loving and gracious. And so, again, this is not the image that, that is some kind of forced labor, labor and that you're doing this begrudgingly and that you don't want to do this. Uh, and somehow Christ is cruel to us. It's none of those kinds of things. But he wants to emphasize and stress that when it comes to the church and the purpose of the church and the message of the gospel, that we are to be faithful to God, faithful to the church, faithful to the message. And this is not open for us to redo uh, the way that we want to do it. This has been established by not only the almighty God, but the all-wise and all-knowing God who has made man. He, he has made, created humanity. He understands us better than anybody else. He knows what we need to the point that he has given us what we need. And so we rely on him for all these things, and that is what he is uh, emphasizing here. And so that's what Paul wants to emphasize. So Paul, in a sense... He is talking about himself and saying, again, view me as simply just a mere, a mere servant 
uh, a mere slave, if you would, kind of like Joseph. And what God has called me to do, what God has called you to do, is to primarily be faithful. Not to be a great orator, not to be great in any of these things. That may or, or may not happen, but we are to be faithful, period. Paul, though he was considered to be just a mere servant, a steward, and even though you and I are called to be just mere stewards of what God has given us, Paul talked about the fact that he was a steward over spiritual wealth or the mysteries of God. In chapter 2 and verse 7, he says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Again, remember that in the New Testament, a mystery is a sacred secret. It is a truth that was hidden in the past, but now has been revealed to the people of God, which is, again, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the wisdom involves God's ordination. That means that God made the plan, he set it in motion, and he will see to it that it will succeed. So when it comes to this, this great plan of redemption is not a hasty afterthought on the part of God after he saw Adam and Eve sin. God wasn't sitting in heaven saying, oh no, look what they just did. Okay, quick, quick, i got to come up with a plan. No, all this was understood before the foundation of the world. Some of that we don't really grasp. I mean, we understand the words, we understand the sentences, but we don't really grasp this, the, the concept of God's preordination, his, you know, when it comes to election and his sovereignty, how all those things come together and, and the freedoms that we have. But we know that it's true because the Bible emphasizes it as being true. And so that's why it makes even, again, even less sense that we might want to somehow be less faithful to the message or alter the message or kind of begin to use these things for our own desires to gain status in some way. And Paul is really against that. He's really against this idea of anyone trying to gain status in the church, whether, again, it's because of your own giftedness or because you've attached yourself to someone else. Uh, he's really against that because it is, it is all about glorifying Christ. Now, this is not some kind of false humility uh, where an individual says, oh, you know, I want to thank you because you've really helped me to grow in the Lord. You say, oh, no, I'm nothing. I'm just a worm. You know, it's okay to say you're welcome and, and to appreciate someone's comments that you were helpful to them. But I think that when we do that, there's, there's, there's none of this, you know, sticking of our chest out. You know, we're just we're grateful to God that God used us in, a li- in the life of that individual. And we should strive for that. We should want to be used by God in the lives of others. It does bring to us great joy. Uh, I don't think it has to be that which brings to us somehow great arrogance. It doesn't have to do that. But we have to be careful because that, that, that temptation is always going to be there. We are in the flesh. We're human beings. We at times yearn for that for whatever the reason. Uh, whether we're feeling sorry for ourselves and feeling we're not being appreciated or whatever the case may happen to be. But the bottom line is, is that, we, that we should be so consumed with being faithful to God and faithful to the message. Uh, I believe that, that will by itself begin to stifle that move to pride when it comes to our interactions with other individuals and our ability to help them spiritually just as others have helped us spiritually. So again, the great plan of redemption was not some hasty afterthought by God. Uh, and again, as I mentioned, it does boggle our mind, but we must accept the truths that the, Bible's, that the Bible gives to us concerning divine election and predestination and the death of Christ being ordained before the foundation of the world. And we see that in the book of Acts in chapter 2 and also in 1 Peter chapter 1. And even though all that's done, God still holds wicked men responsible for the things that they've done because they did what they did freely. 
And they chose to do what they did when they rejected Christ and they crucified him. But again, back to the point here in 1 Corinthians 4, the responsibility of a steward is to be faithful to his master. A steward may not please the members of his household. He may not even please some of the other servants. But if he pleases his own master, he is a good steward. So that is his singular mission. So whether an individual is a pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a missionary or you're the spiritual leader in your home, your responsibility is to please God. It does not matter if anyone else in your family or if anyone else in your group likes what you're doing or approves of what you're doing, you need to be faithful to Christ and the message. That doesn't give you an excuse to be arrogant. It doesn't give you an excuse to be obnoxious. It doesn't even give you an excuse to be uncaring about other people. But there should be this singular devotion that we are not uh, moved in different directions simply by the opinions or what we think are the opinions of other people about us. And what we think about what other people think about us really carries a lot of weight. We really have to grow into mature when we get to the point that that does not affect us. Because I don't think we ever get to a point that it will have no effect on us because that would be another form of arrogance. That we don't care what anybody says at all, ever. That way, that's not the proper position. But the idea is, is that I'm not going to be swayed in how I explain the gospel or in my stand in the gospel or even talking about the gospel because I might receive uh, an unfavorable response or uh, maybe opinion of others. And, and that, can, that can weigh heavily on us. Remember that we process information really very rapidly, even emotionally, and there are times that we may hesitate because we're afraid of the disapproval of other individuals. One of the things that we need to recognize, and this is primarily, I guess, I guess it's primarily for leaders, and that is the inherent danger that all leaders face is to forget the importance of accountability. Uh, it's interesting, the uh, passage that was read this morning by Nepo. I was reading a uh, book by a fundamental independent Baptist pastor, uh, and he was speaking in that passage, and I think he got it entirely wrong, because this is what he said. Because normally people look at the passage that was read this morning in Exodus, and they see how this advice is given to uh, Moses, that he's going to wear himself out trying to handle everything by himself. That there were other individuals who understood the law of God, who could administer the things he was doing, and Moses then was to basically take care of the most, maybe the most difficult, the most complex things, because he just couldn't do it all himself. So this man's kind of writing a commentary on that and says, Jethro was this outsider, non-believer, therefore everything he told Moses should be just discounted and thrown away and that Moses should continue to do everything by himself until God himself told him otherwise. And the reason why I think he was going in that direction is because within certain circles of Christianity, the pastor is viewed even though they don't use the term, as the sole dictator. He makes all the decisions. He decides everything. It all runs through him, no matter what. Whether that's official in the church documents uh, and bylaws, or whether it's just by practice, that's how it goes in a lot of places. And that's wrong. Because when that happens, there's no accountability. All men in leadership in the church need to be held accountable for what they do and their walk with the Lord. All of them. That includes me, any other pastor on staff, any elder, any deacon, all of us. It is not not about 
I got you kind of moments. That's not what it is. The idea is to be a loving care and watchful eye over the souls of each other. We are to have a concern, not because we want to control anyone's life, not because we want to somehow be the one who tells them that, oh yeah, I pointed out they were doing wrong or whatever it happens to be. It's not about any of that. The desire is to have such a great love for Christ, the gospel, and that individual that we yearn for them to grow as an individual. Understanding that we're all human beings, we all are living this life in the weakness of the flesh, we are all susceptible to temptation, we can all fail and will, will fail from time to time, and we need each other's help, encouragement, and holding each other accountable is an important aspect of that. It really is important. And so if you ever move away and you go to another church, and, or you're looking for a church, and you come in contact with a church that might be doing everything right, but there seems to be a real lack of accountability, you just need to go somewhere else, because there's going to be a mess there one day. And it may not be a public mess, but there's going to be a mess in the lives of people uh, within that church, because there's already a broken system that's in place. All of us need to be growing. In fact, there's a, a small little passage where Paul is giving some advice to Timothy, and this has stuck with me for, for decades, and that is where he tells Timothy that, that Timothy needs to live his life in such a way that others can see his growth or his progress in the faith. That's just amazing. Now, so, so remember that all pastors, no matter where they are, are men who are growing in their faith, growing in, in holiness. They're, like you, we're all growing together in Christ. So there, there may not be, obviously, it's not like, you know, in some people we can see the life more, the, the growth more evidently because of certain maybe big things they were doing and things they're not doing now. And we can see these things. And maybe in the life of some pastors, you know, there may not be as much to really see that's obvious, but it still needs to be there. It needs, it's important. Whether he's a little more loving or he's a little more kind or he's a little more patient or whatever it happens to be, that's important. Because we're all in this together. And so, but if we don't have this idea, if we don't have this attitude that we're just simply mere servants of God, Literally, not just the lip service, but that we're just mere servants of God. Uh, and again, an individual can, can display even an outward kind of humility, but inwardly, it's not there. And there's kind of a, a, a maybe a sarcastic rebelliousness against those who dare to question them about something or, or, or hold them accountable in any kind of way. Uh, and so we need to make sure that we're examining ourselves in this way. So there is this danger that we can forget the importance of accountability. Uh, and again, it is especially true for those who hold top leaderships in the church. In fact, there's a, let me tell you a quick story. There used to be, there was a ministry, and I think it was started in the late 70s. And it was a pretty good ministry, at least the concept was good. It was called Dad the Family Shepherd. And the idea was, because this has been recognized for a long time in our country, it's been recognized that a lot of dads are not leading their family spiritually as, as they should. And so this guy... Um, came up with this idea of trying to, to hold seminars to train men, uh, make it simple for them, but to train men on how to think about and how to be the shepherd of their family spiritually. And, and the guy had some pretty good ideas, pretty good concepts. I met him uh, when he came to Hawaii, and uh, the ministry was kind of expanding. And like a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of parachurch ministries, uh, you know, you have a, you have a board uh, that kind of oversees things, and of course, you, uh, those who are doing the ministry need to be answerable or held accountable by that board. Uh, and so, 
there began to be, after several years, uh, it kind of came to light that there was some difficulty in his family, in his relationship with him and his wife uh, in particular. Things weren't really going well. I don't know the particulars. It doesn't really matter. So the board told him that uh, he needed to take some time off because he needed to address these things. They were very serious. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. I, I already have a lot of speaking engagements, uh, a lot of these seminars. Uh, I need to fulfill, I need to keep my word. They said, we've got guys who can do this. Uh, we, we can rearrange their schedules. Because By that time, not only did he go out and do seminars, uh, but they had uh, maybe five or six other men that were doing these seminars as well. And he said, they, they can cover for you, so we'll have it covered. Uh, and he basically said, no, uh, I'm not doing that. That is not what God wants. So they reminded him that even though he started the ministry, uh, he was accountable to the, to the board, and it was the wisdom of this group of men uh, that um, this needed to be dealt with immediately, and they weren't going to back down. And he didn't back down, and neither did they. And so they fired him. So the man who started the ministry had to be let go because of this refusal uh, to be involved in being accountable to a group of men that he helped to pick to not only ensure that this ministry went forward, but to watch over his own soul. And I don't remember what happened with his family. I don't know if he and his wife repaired things or they divorced. I don't know any of that. I just know that it can happen very easily, happen to anybody. Uh, and it's something that we can resist. Um, and he even invoked the name of God. You know, no, this is not what God wants me to do. And it was like, um, you need to read the whole Bible uh, because you have a responsibility to your wife. Um, and, and so you're wrong when you say that. So we need to make sure that we recognize this and we take this very seriously. So again, the task of the Christian, the task of Paul, the task is, is to faithfully make known and to faithfully make visible to those around, the, the, uh, around them the mystery or the wisdom of God. So that's something that you and I are, are all to be doing. We have a responsibility to God to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you, if you see yourself as a mere servant and you strive to be faithful to Christ and be faithful to the message of the gospel, that entails you and I not just living out our lives in light of the gospel, but giving the gospel. And again, whether we're giving the gospel in bits and pieces or all at once or a combination of those things, we are, we are to do that. That is our responsibility. That is not the responsibility of just the pastor or just the outreach pastor or just the missionary. It is the responsibility of all of us. Some of us will have more opportunities throughout a week than others. It's not about the, the quantity of opportunities that we have to do this. It's nothing to brag about that someone so has been able to share the gospel 15 times in a week and someone else to share the gospel twice in a month. It's not about that. It's about being favorable to the message and sharing the gospel message. And again, I do think that, you know, when it comes to our time when we confess our sins, that for some of us, and maybe for maybe some weeks, it may be a lot of us, we need to confess the sin to God that we have not shared the gospel and opportunities have been there. We've not shared the gospel because we've been afraid. We've been afraid of what somebody may think. We've been afraid of what, well, what if that endangers my job? Now, I understand all of that, and I'm not saying to go out there and, you know, wear the Jesus-only shirt and, and, you know, make a big scene and, and whatever, and I understand that you have to fulfill your responsibilities at work. Absolutely. There's, you can do that. 
And you may have to be wise in how you share the gospel at work. You may have to wait until the lunch hour. You, or, but there's ways to develop relationships with people that when those opportunities present themselves, that you can still find a way to share the gospel. It may not be during working hours. But too often what happens with some is to say, well, the moment was there, but I was at work, so I can't do it. And then we go home, eat supper, watch TV, and go to bed. And we don't lose any sleep. And there, there's, there's a problem. There was an opportunity there. And again, I'm not saying the opportunity had to be presented at that moment, but you could have grasped that opportunity to let that individual know how much you care for them because you are faithful to the message and you love the message you know, and you know, you know how important the message is to at least make arrangements to meet with that person, whether it's after work, invite them to your home for dinner, or do something where you would be able to latch on to that moment, bring that moment back up, and be able to share Christ with them. Remember that we have the message that the world is, is dying for. Apart from the message of Christ, remember, they're not going to make it. Period. They're not. They're going to die in their sin and go to hell. That's a very real thing. It, it, that's truth. And we have a responsibility. It will never be your fault that someone goes to hell because you didn't share the gospel. I hate when people try to use that to make Christians feel guilty. This is wrong. Right, so I would never, and God's not going to say, well, because you didn't share the gospel, they went to hell. God is not that weak. God's got all those variables covered. And the Bible makes it clear that when a person dies and goes to hell, they have no excuse. But that doesn't somehow mean that we're not responsible for our sin. And for some, time, for some of us, maybe all of us at times, our sin has been that we've not shared the gospel. And just so you know, when it comes to that, that's, that's actually a very common sin among all believers, at least I think in America, including pastors. There are times that we fail. Like I, I'll, It'd be later in the day or maybe later in the week, and I go, it, all of a sudden it hits me. Oh, Bob, you, and I am very hard on myself. I use very harsh language. I don't cuss. But Bob, you jerk, stupid moron. Why didn't you see it then? You lazy bum stinking pig all you cared about was doing this and doing that and you could have taken five minutes you could have taken 10 minutes and i'm and i'm and i'm very serious about that it just oh it just irritates me but i do not ask god to slap me in the head because i might not recover from that but i do ask god to convict me sooner or earlier because i don't want to mess up those opportunities because opportunities sometimes are very rare and we never know the kind of impact and the joy that we will receive in being able to help an individual. So again, remember that it is not just the task of certain individuals. So again, as a result of this, Paul says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Basically, in talking about his faithfulness to Christ and the gospel, he is not in a position to judge himself. Only God can judge him, and he will. In other words, Paul says, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. So Paul basically is saying, because the context of the passage is important, that he's unaware of any personal missteps regarding his faithfulness to the gospel. That's what he's talking about. He's not about sin in general. He's talking about his faithfulness to the gospel. And he doesn't know of any missteps when he has been um, irresponsible or unfaithful to the gospel. So again, what matters here is not what Paul considers right or good. It's not, about a, uh, not a matter about how he feels about anything. What matters is God's evaluation of Paul's servant faithfulness. 
And Paul is speaking really very boldly here, but Paul has the life to back that up. Remember, he's, he's been left for dead more than once because of the gospel. We know that he has lost his family, probably lost family fortune because of the gospel. He lost status in the Jewish community because of the gospel. Uh, he never complained about that. In fact, his attitude changed so much, he said, I, just can, I consider that rubbish, which was an, an absolute astonishing change in his life to think that way. But all those things were lost, but he didn't count them as loss because gaining the knowledge of Christ and that relationship with Christ, he saw that as being so fabulous in every way. And that's where we need to get as believers. We need to get there to that point. That's why Paul then says this, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart, then each one's praise will come from God. So human judgments and opinions are going to abound. Criticisms and adorations may seem relevant, but since only God knows the deepest motivation of a person's heart, Christians should not hasten in their judgments of others in this area. When the Lord returns, even what is hidden will be revealed, and each person will receive the recognition that he or she deserves. So here's a couple things, uh, actually four things. I'll go through them very quickly uh, that we can glean from this. Number one, and this is kind of putting together what we've covered the past several weeks and today. Number one, remember this. God resides in the Christian community. The church is God's temple. It is the place where he dwells and reveals himself. That's why it is such a great thing to invite people to come be a part of us so they can see how we interact with each other. They need to see Christians interacting because this is where God dwells. He dwells with us as a community. The way we relate to each other is not just because we all have, you know, we say, well, of course we get along. We all go to the same church. It's not, of course, anything. It's because of the transformation that, that Christ, through the gospel, has brought about in our lives. And we want people to see that. So, again, any notion of any kind of individualism just gets in the way of God's community. That's why, again, the elevation. Again, it's not wrong to recognize individuals' giftedness and all of that. But again, everything should be done in the context of the community. And that's what Paul's been stressing. Number two, God does not use worldly standards to evaluate ministry. God doesn't look at number. He doesn't look at any of that. He looks at our faithfulness to him and our faithfulness to the gospel message. That's what he looks at. That's how he decides. The agenda for the church then is simply this, imitation of Christ. When our agenda and the measurement for success is set by the world, we've gone awry. It proves that we are more interested in the praise of other human beings than in the praise of God. So, and there's churches who've done this kind of thing. Maybe they meant well. I don't know all the motivations. That's why I'm not going to name churches. But some churches have made a real big deal because they're going green. Or they made a big deal because they put a, a certain kind of politician in the pulpit. Or because now they are, as a church, going to be fighting global warming. They're going to be more community-minded. We need to be gospel-minded. The world views us as an institution that is a sub-branch of the government of the United States of America. That's how the unbelieving world views us. We are a charity organization. That's it. And what they want from us is charity. They don't want the gospel. They want charity. And too often what happens is the church gives into that. And we have to stop doing that. We need to be about the gospel. Period. The third thing is this. It's one claim. I already said this earlier, but it's one thing to claim to be a servant. It's quite another to be one. Warren Wiersbe says this. True servanthood springs from a person's mental attitude. True servants do not just do service. They recognize their position as servants and act accordingly. 
John MacArthur says, True servants think themselves unworthy of honor and are genuinely surprised when they are given praise. And then lastly, let me reemphasize this. If anything gives rise to pride and a sense of entitlement in our society, it's our personal accomplishments. When we work hard for something, when we've attained something, uh, and we owe ourselves, I guess you would say, thanks, and we expect others to add their approval and recognition, our ability maybe to count the prominent people in our circle of friends can afford so in that same sense of significance. The frequency of name-dropping can make that clear. When Paul, when Paul brings up that exact issue, he tells the Corinthian believers that it reveals they have missed the gospel. A proper understanding of accomplishments and relationship recognizes that all things come as undeserved gifts from God. So we need to remember this. We are mere servants. That's not a put-down. That is a great place to be, is to be a mere servant of Jesus Christ. And God has an expectation of us, and that is to be trustworthy, that we can be trusted with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we can be trusted to carry that message to those that God places within our circle of influence. And we are then to do all that we can to eagerly enhance both the mission, mission and the message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your unbelievable grace in our life. And Father, we ask you would help us to be humbly faithful to you and the gospel. Father, maybe all of us are here today because others in our lives were faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you use many people in our lives in many ways to get us to the point to where we believe the gospel. And we thank you for that. And Father, we know as we understand life that we will probably be among a number of people that are used in the lives of other people to bring them to Christ. And if perhaps, Father, we are the one that is there the moment they come to Christ, or perhaps we are the one who is the most prominent, you are the one, Father, who is deserving of all the praise and the glory. And it's a wonderful honor, Father, to be used by you in that process. And so, Father, we ask that you remind us of these things, that we'll think about them often, that we will think about how we live, where we live, where we work in an entirely new way, and realize, Lord, that mere servants of Christ are being sent throughout the world, not just the missionaries, but all of us, are being sent out by you to be image bearers of Christ himself and to bring the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Give us boldness, give us strength, give us courage, give us love. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.